0: Emerald Podcast Series. Research that makes a difference.
1: The Journal of Humanitarian Logistics and Supply Chain Management has recently hit a major milestone, its 10-year anniversary, which is celebrated with a special issue. At the same time, Emerald Publishing has agreed to a multi-year deal with the Kuna Foundation to flip the journal to fully open access beginning in 2023. This means that the journal will become freely available to readers all over the world who will no longer hit a subscription paywall, and authors will be able to publish their open access articles for free. To discuss the field of humanitarian logistics and supply chain management and the 10-year anniversary, I'm joined by the journal's
2: editors.
0: Hi, my name is Genki Kovac, and I'm one of the co-editors of the Journal of Humanitarian Logistics and Supply
2: Chain Management. Hi, my name is Nezi Altai, and I'm the other co-editor for the Journal of Humanitarian Logistics and Supply Chain Management. We're also joined by Sean Rafter, the
1: Managing Director of HELP Logistics, a program of the Kuna Foundation. So, JHLSCM recently hit a major milestone having reached its 10-year anniversary, which is a really big accomplishment. Before we dive into our discussion about the special issue that covered the anniversary, I think it'd be good for our listeners who are not familiar with the journal to tell them a little bit about, first of all, the discipline, what is humanitarian logistics and the humanitarian supply chain, and how the journal fits into the larger picture of the field.
2: The journal is the only dedicated academic journal to this topic. And in general, we are method agnostic. So we publish mathematical modeling optimization papers, survey papers, conceptual papers, theoretical papers, as long as they contribute to the theory and practice. Those two things are equally important for us, contribution to theory and contribution to practice, because we do have actually a lot of uh, practitioner readers. And we even have a separate type of paper that we... Uh, routinely publish in our journal that we call practice forum, which are papers written by practitioners for practitioners. But since this is an academic journal and not all practitioners are familiar with you know academic writing, we usually recommend the practitioner to join forces with an academic so that the paper fits to the academic writing and to the academic journal. My shot at what is humanitarian logistics, what is humanitarian supply chains, from my perspective, any logistical operation, any supply chain operation that helps alleviate human suffering can be considered humanitarian logistics or humanitarian supply chain management.
0: We have recognized that there is a bit of a vacuum in other supply chain management journals looking at this particular context. And with the context, I mean what Nessie just said, but also, generally speaking, like emergencies, crises, disasters, conflicts. Uh, so any kind of really areas where you deliver from a logistical perspective, you do have supply chains, you have to have suppliers and you have to have all the logistical principles in place just to be able to alleviate that human suffering. So this context is a rather really big one. It's also, you can possibly also call it an industry. Uh, it's not an industry that is very much uh, considered in the typical supply chain management journals. and. We felt the need that there needs to be some space and some kind of outlet and channel where it's easy to find what research is being done in this area, and where it is easy to communicate both with other researchers but also with practitioners to see what are the newest insights, what have we, uh, what are the newest results in this research, uh, where does the field go to be more effective in also actually making a change.
1: So a lot of what you've done then is to build a community around humanitarian logistics, is that right?
0: Yes, and uh, in that sense, I mean, The journal has come out from a long way of building that community. The community has started a little bit with the research community uh, when it comes to this particular journal, which very quickly became a global research community. But this is where it's very important where also Sean will come in, um, how we also extended this to the practitioner community to make this the voice of this field.
3: Sean, what would you like to add? Thank you, Johnji and Neze for, for these answers. And I think it demonstrates very well how the definition of humanitarian logistics is evolving at a very fast pace. Having worked in the sector for a decade and now working with academia through publications like the journal, really seeing an evolution of what humanitarian logistics means. And I would go as far to say that it's a humanitarian supply chain delivers life-saving products and services to the benefit of humanity. And I say humanity because I think it now expands to include climate and environment because sustainable supply chains are entwined now in, in the work of humanitarian supply chains. It has to be life-saving. That's the humanitarian imperative, but there are, as Johnji said, so many principles, Of do no harm, uh, ensuring uh, child protection in the upstream, downstream of supply chains. It's a really complex environment, and the definition is really quite expansive.
1: Well, Sean, how does the Kuna Foundation and Help Logistics fit into the ecosystem of humanitarian supply chain, or you know, more specifically, its relationship to the journal?
3: So, Help Logistics was uh, founded to support the efficiency and effectiveness. Of humanitarian supply chains, the foundation, its uh, parent, uh, recognised that work needed to be done there. We saw that the commercial supply chain was advanced in in many areas, um, and we could see that academia and commercial supply chains had a lot to offer in terms of improving the way we were doing things in in the humanitarian uh, logistics sector. And my own experience in that is I I started working in the field um, way back in in, uh, early 2000s in the Democratic Republic of Congo as a field logistician. And as I developed and worked through many different positions and different countries, what I was really desperate for, and and I had come from, uh, I was an engineer and an IT specialist, and and I had uh, the discipline of critical thinking and analytics But what I needed was models, um, methods that could be applied to the field that I could uh, grasp uh, and understand and apply. And that was really a huge gap. And so as I uh, came out of of the humanitarian sector and started working with academia, I could see that there is so much information, so much uh, interesting uh, data on trends and different solutions that could be applied that it became kind of a a passion of mine to try to bring uh, this academia and and commercial sector knowledge into the humanitarian sector. And so Help Logistics has been working at the intersection of these sectors uh, since about seven, uh, eight years. And the journal has always been close to us in that period. And I really want to find a way to get this journal into the hands of um, field logisticians as I was over a decade ago uh, because there's a real hunger for good academic research that is applied and useful in context.
1: Emerald Publishing just made an extraordinary agreement with the Kuna Foundation. I was wondering if you could tell us more about that.
3: Yeah, this is the summation of of many years of uh, working with uh, the journal and wanting to find a way to make it open source. One of the issues, which we all recognize, is that there are barriers, academic barriers for field workers to get access to research. And we wanted to try and uh, break down those barriers. And because the journal has that content, but the, the model of, of getting it out to, to field workers was challenging, we decided to fund this journal for uh, three years, starting in uh, 2023. And make it open access and it has a twofold purpose one it will reduce the barriers and make it fully accessible uh, to everybody in the world um, and especially to local logisticians and we talk a lot about localization and empowering uh, local ngos and their workers so this will enable them to get their hands on the journal every year and the other point is that we want to be also encourage local universities and practitioners uh, working in the field to come forward and publish their work. We recognize that a lot of publications at the moment uh, are coming from the same universities, uh, same professors, and we really want to expand that field and encourage other universities and and, uh, local organizations and practitioners to put forward their ideas. If we can help and support them And guide them through the process of uh, publishing we really hope that we can move the dial a little bit and the conversation and give them a voice uh, to be able to publish and be heard on um, different stages and, and especially through the journal i think that's that's very possible
1: so this is really going back to the community building isn't it
3: absolutely yeah and it's expanding that community and expanding it out from the traditional universities and you know even for me i'm not an academic i'm i'm very grateful for the information and experience I gained from working with uh, John G. and Neze for expanding my understanding of how academia works. But I'm in a lucky position to be able to understand that. There are many who struggle to understand the first step in being able to uh, publish their work, and we really want to try and reach out to them because that's a huge community out there.
0: I think it's really important that the journal is becoming now open and free access, and what we get now through through the support of help and through the Kuna Foundation cannot be overstated, basically. It's really super important that people have access to it, that they can read it, they can contribute to it. We will never have that global impact unless we would have that open access, both to authors, but also to the field generally. We do get submissions to the journal from all around the world but we need to still get better at bringing in the voices and the particular issues of the context of all around the world. We don't have enough publications from all around the world. Partly, this is um, a matter, of course, of uh, the possibilities that uh, scholars have somewhere, even what they can read, also what they can write and how much they have a the chance to do research. But partly, it's just to make sure that they find the right outlets that we can help them. And here we've done a very developmental uh, way of supporting authors through the review process. And I know that Nezi has been especially focusing on making sure that we are very, very constructive in our reviews as well.
2: We do have a constructive approach. We don't uh, necessarily try to reject papers so that we have a lower acceptance rate. But we try to build papers up so that we have high quality, good papers that contribute to theory and practice.
1: Well, over the last year in build up to the journal going full open access, uh, the journal has been publishing virtual issues. So right now, you know, in light of COVID, there's the virtual issue preparing the humanitarian supply chain for epidemics and pandemic response. And there's currently also the virtual special issue for the 2022 EuroHope Conference. So I was hoping that Yonyi you could talk a little bit about these virtual issues and what maybe some of the the, the goal is with putting them together.
0: The virtual issues have been extremely helpful of bringing together topical issues that otherwise would not be that easy to find. So, for example, when uh, at the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic, we had several virtual issues, in fact, that first brought together what we already knew about pandemics and epidemics, then the next one about the first initial results of research about this particular pandemic, and then so forth. These have been incredibly useful to the community. Um, They've also been very useful for just Easily finding what is out there already on something. There has also been a very good virtual issue earlier, for example, on conflicts and uh, displacement, which was also very timely. And I'm, I very appreciate their rights also support on being that timely, because we ca- could pretty much overnight uh, when uh, the evacuation was going on from Afghanistan, put together that special issue to make sure that people could instantly find easily the latest results that there have been about displacement-related issues. We continue to do so. These kinds of virtual issues are typically very topical, typically very timely, and that is what we also uh, hope to achieve with them.
1: I'd like to turn now to the 10th anniversary special issue. So Nazin Yunyi, along with Karen Spence, co-authored an article titled, The Evolution of Humanitarian Logistics as a Discipline Through a Crystal Ball. So, you know, over the years, there have been various literature reviews of the subject, but in your article, you take a different approach to the evolution of the discipline. So, can you tell us about this approach and what you found?
0: What is maybe different in our approach to the typical literature review is that we actually went through a number of practitioner events and collected also, like, what was being discussed amongst humanitarian logistics practitioners. took that both the lens, okay, what is there already in literature that we know that there is, and what is what are the gaps and what are maybe the upcoming and new topics that we would otherwise not find if we would not go to these practitioner events. So that's the difference maybe.
2: That's exactly right, Gyungi. Um, the traditional literature review paper looks at what has been published. It looks backwards and identifies gaps in what has been published already. And you know, puts out those gaps, basically, as a future research direction. We wanted to change that logic. And we wanted to see what's happening in practice right now, what are the problems that practitioners are discussing, and what the academics did not do any research on yet, on the problems that are being discussed. So it's more practice-oriented. It's more forward-looking rather than backward-looking. It's not a literature review anymore because we're not necessarily looking backwards, but it does open new research directions that hasn't been taught by academics before.
1: Well, that's what I really appreciate about the article, the practical, real-world aspect of it, the, the forward looking aspect of it. Because, you know, we've gone through COVID just recently, but you know, the humanitarian supply chain is directly affected by global events, you know, whether they're natural disasters, or human ones. And in the article, you offer a framework of global events and how they cascade. Can you tell us about this framework, how you conceptualize it, and then how you use it yourself in your research?
0: The framework actually looks at a number of different interesting issues that are not necessarily just pertaining to humanity and logistics as a discipline, but also like, you know, what else triggers events and what are the bigger kind of things that we can see. So for example, we do bring in how climate change might be a factor that triggers migration or that triggers any kinds of disasters by itself and that then triggers migration. Um, and how those kinds of aspects will have an impact on what we have to look at. and there in the world we need to deliver humanitarian aid and there in the world we would see, for example, people migrating towards. So what we are trying to do generally speaking in the framework is to open up the bigger picture to say like, okay, what are these outstanding factors that we can see and how will they impact on the future and on the evolution of needs in this field? And by that they can also on how we shall or sh- uh, respond to these needs in the future.
1: Well, in the the 10th anniversary special issue, there are several really important articles.
2: Um, Do you think you could tell us about some of them? Our goal with that was to mimic the first issue of the journal. And so we reached out to the authors who published in the first ever issue of the journal. And we wanted to ask them, you know, can you write an article you know, looking back to the first issue and uh, looking at now and what has changed and in which direction are we going. And these authors, uh, our authors from the first issue, they touch different issues within the humanitarian logistics and supply chain management community or field. Um, you know, some, actually, some of our authors come from military background, So they were looking at civil military partnerships. Some of our authors come from a humanitarian logistics or disaster response, life-saving operations angle, and some of our authors approach the problem from a development angle. The importance of the 10th anniversary issue, I think it, it allows us to see the difference between what we were doing 10 years ago and what, what we are doing now and what we expect to do in the, in the near future.
0: It was really nice to have exactly this approach also from the other authors to say like they look back to their first uh, initial thoughts about humanity and logistics. Now, mind you, these are all people who didn't just 10 years ago work in this field, but continue to work in this field. And they looked back, but they also looked forward. So it was very nice to see that and to kind of bridge that gap like, OK, what has happened in 10 years? And a lot has happened in 10 years. The field of humanity and logistics has very much matured. There is so much more research out there. This very journal has been fundamentally uh, important to how the discipline was managed to kind of bring people together and to learn from one another. So we could say that it has been quite a success story in that sense that we have brought the researchers together, but also that there has been a lot done and we've managed to also influence practice to a large extent, and there has been really like an impact of the research that we've had.
3: Sean, what would you like to add? The global logistics cluster, which is responsible for the community of humanitarian practitioners from the United Nations to the IFRC to international NGOs, convenes twice a year. And a few years ago, we managed to convince them to have a marketplace for academia. And so they gave up one of their three days in order to listen to many uh, professors and researchers who talked about the research. And it was remarkable from the skeptical point of view from the beginning to the complete change in attitude afterwards, that the relevancy and timeliness of research, the clock speed at which Research is now coming out, as Johnji said earlier, relevant to ongoing operations is is really shortened, and we couldn't actually close those sessions on time because people wanted to engage in further conversation, go deeper into the papers, and we've run those marketplaces now subsequently every year, and we still get called back, you know, to sponsor and provide more professors and more papers to talk about with the global and regional practitioners
0: in, in the humanitarian cluster. Yeah, we've also, with the law cluster, for example, in, in some of their latest meetings, we had a chance to highlight some of the best and the latest uh, research from the journal, and we could invite authors to do that themselves and to say, like, okay, this is what I've done and this, these are the main results here. And it was very, very, well received. So the journal itself has now a communication with practitioners in that sense going. One thing that has always been super important to this journal is that we want to have articles that have both rigor and relevance. And I know this is something that logistics and supply chain management as a field always says, but I think in this journal and with the way that we've been doing this with the log cluster, with reaching out with practitioners, with working with in partnerships with academia and practitioners, we've pretty much come a long way in managing to do so as well.
3: I read a recent paper in the Emerald Journal, and what's really interesting is that academia is able to step back. Well, I think it it is closer now to understanding humanitarian operations than ever before, uh, and retains the ability to be able to uh, have a perspective uh, from slightly outside as well, and that means it's able to encapsulate a lot of the complexity and ambiguity and uncertainty within supply chain, and offer some pathways through that, and able to condense very complex uh, problems. and And it's it's really so important to have that uh, those speeds. You know, we know operations is is all about uh, delivery, but having somebody observe uh, the sector and, and provide insights is is really important. And that recent paper spoke a lot about the convergence that is going on uh, within the sector, the convergence of stakeholders from humanitarian and commercial and academia sectors to come together to solve problems towards the SDGs, convergence on technology um, and the utilization of of technologies across different sectors to solve problems, Uh, the convergence of disciplines and how we bring humanitarian and sustainability together. This kind of academic perspective of not being afraid of complexity, but helping to unpack it and then allow um, you know humanitarian operations to, to uh, use it is really useful.
2: Nazi? The paper Sean is talking about is actually available right now in our early site section on the journal's website. And one thing that I wanted to add is as an example of that convergence and the low cluster meetings, you know, the fact that we have now a day, you know, within the low cluster meetings, that's a two way street. The logisticians are learning from academicians, but we are also getting new, interesting research ideas in those meetings, listening to the logisticians. Uh, as a matter of fact, we are now working on, Gyungyi and I are working on a project that looks at the interface of uh, humanitarian logistics and and law and legal structures in the world because humanitarians you know when they're moving stuff from point A to point B they are constrained by you know global and local customs uh, structures uh, local laws uh, employment laws etc cetera, etc cetera, and how they navigate these legal structures and still deliver on time and and uh, at a low cost and all that stuff is very interesting. And that, that actually came directly, that idea came directly from the practitioner side.
1: One of the values that we hold dear at Emerald Publishing is that we want the research that we publish to have a real world impact. And it sounds like you guys are really talking about that. So I'm wondering if maybe you have some specific examples of this relationship between academia and practitioners, people who are out on the field working?
0: A lot of researchers in this field also work as practitioners every now and then. Uh, Many are on rosters of humanitarian organizations. They can be deployed into different crises and emergencies, and they do that uh, and come back with the knowledge, with the application, with the insights, and so forth. Others work on a strategic level, but they also come in and observe how a humanitarian organisation works or how a particular disaster is being responded to. So we do have many great examples of how relevance can also just kind of be brought in and made sure that we all understand what what is actually current and important to to humanitarian organisations as well. We have... Multiple examples otherwise as well. I mean, if you know, really think just very recently, uh, with pandemic virtual issues that you uh, mentioned, there has been so much where humanitarian logistics has been actually the field where other, um, industries looked at saying like, okay, you deal with supply chain disruptions on a daily basis. So how do, what do we learn from you? How shall we actually implement the the knowledge from humanitarian supply chains in? any kind of other industry to deal with the pandemic. So it's in a way kind of the pandemic maybe also turn it around for us because we, we've we always been kind of seen as humanitarian logistics is a bit different and now, and humanitarian logistics would be learning from, from industry. I think it's now also going both ways and different industries are learning from the humanitarian context as well.
1: Well, much of what we've been discussing is where we are now with uh, humanitarian logistics, and then looking back at the last 10 years from the the beginning of the journal. Now, when you look to the future, how do you see the discipline evolving? What areas of the field do you think need to be further developed and explored?
2: One of the areas that we need to further develop is the intersection of uh, logistics operations with other fields. I think we have been focusing on, you know, movement of goods and procurement of goods, which are typical logistics and supply chain operations. But we didn't do a good job so far looking at the intersection of supply chain management and logistics operations with other fields. I think we still need to explore continuing on the idea of the paper Sean was mentioning before, the convergence of of stakeholders. I think we still need to explore. There's a lot to do still in terms of partnerships in terms of convergence of stakeholders?
3: I, I was thinking three areas. And, and one topic, I think, is around supply chain management, the leadership uh, and management of supply chain. It has improved, as, as Janji said, over the last decade. But I think there's still a way to go to understand the different business models that apply to the humanitarian sector. We have evolved in a very organic way since um, you know, the, the, the 80s. And changing the institutions and changing the ways we work, I think, needs to be looked into. So um, leadership and organization management and models would be one area um, I think would be interesting to explore. And then I think not just in the operational delivery part, the humanitarian operations part, but in preparedness and resilience. So the uh, build back uh, better or the do no harm principles. We know there is less funding or less um, capital available and there are greater needs and so doing more with less is imperative and so being able to prepare better for emergencies whether that is models on how to um, optimize preparedness um, pre-positioning with inventory management etc I think this would be an area to look into and then the last one for me would be The emergence of sustainability and environment and um, the impact it's had on humanitarian operations and really the need to look at the full life cycle of of supply chain and understand its impact, its carbon footprint, uh, waste management. Uh, What's really fascinating about this area, that is, it has accelerated a lot more conversation because this is an emerging area where all sectors are affected. And there's a really huge growth in, in forums and groups and communities coming up around sustainability. And by default, that's bringing humanitarian operations closer together as well.
1: knew what would you like to add?
0: Well, let me start with saying that I agree with both what Nezi and Sean have said, I mean, both about the interdisciplinarities, but also the, very, the specific topics. I mean, my favourite topic personally, is also about sustainability and humanitarian aid partly also because we need to break through this whole cycle of just thinking about, okay, climate change impacts on us and we react to that and whatever disaster comes out of it is a reaction to that and we react to the disasters and instead really thinking, okay, so how do we ourselves mitigate climate change? What can we do to, to keep emissions low and to keep global warming load. So I think the humanitarian sector really needs to think about their own role in this and, and thinking about that. But there are other things as well. I mean now I'm thinking about things like systemic change. We've been talking a lot about cash-based uh, initiatives earlier and they have come a long way from uh, to just consider at which point do you really deliver items and when do you deliver certain services and when do you deliver cash and what does that mean for beneficiaries and what does it mean for the whole sector. This is a really important topic, um, mind you. I mean, of course, we still have to consider that at the very end of the day, humanity and supply chains are there to deliver. So in case everything else fails and sometimes everything else does fail, you need to have that capacity and the logistics knowledge and capacity to do so. So those are kind of important issues to come back to the basics of renown and to say, okay, what is it that we are here for and why are we delivering and what shall we be doing in the first place?
1: Well, Nezi, I know that you have several projects coming up. Can you tell us about the special issues you have planned
2: for the next year? We have three special issues that are cooking right now. And the earliest that will finish will be probably the first issue of 2023. And it's going to be uh, on COVID-19 and its effects on uh, humanitarian supply chains. Then we have another special issue that is almost being finalized on vaccine supply chains. And, and lastly, hopefully in 2023, if not in 2024, we will have a special issue um, on looking at logistics operations in complex emergencies. The thought behind that special issue was the Russian invasion of Ukraine and how armed conflicts and other complexities change or or challenge humanitarian logistics operations. So look out for those special issues. All of those
1: will be uh, open access, which is fantastic because they'll be free to a worldwide readership. So thank you for working on that, Sean, uh, bringing that together for us.
3: Oh, it's a pleasure i'm honestly really excited about uh, getting the journal out there and, and and getting the response from from people who will be will have access to it now
1: wow that's that's all really interesting it's been a fantastic conversation thank you all three for joining me today thank you for inviting us thank you very much thank you thank you for listening to today's episode you can find more information about our guests on our website where you also find a link to the freely available 10 year anniversary issue. I'd like to thank our guests for joining me today, and also Alex Jungius of This Is Distorted.